And we're back. Generations talking about my sports generations. And as always, I am Jonathan. I am Steve. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to us. we got a great show today. So as usual, thanks for following, listening, liking the whole bit, man. This is all about fun, and we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy talking. So for those listening to this show, we are recording the day before the listener party, which was or will be on the 20th on Saturday at 2.30 in the Upper Deck. But if you're listening to this when it will post, it has already happened. And so we want to thank all of those that come out in advance. But um, we're super, super appreciative of everyone. We're always shocked and amazed on who's listening and when people come up to us and, and talk to us about some of the things that we said and, you know, whether you agree or disagree or think that uh, we forgot about someone or something or bringing anything up, you know, we enjoy that because we just like talking about sports. So, again, thank you so much. And if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to last week's episode, make sure you listen to that. We talk about sports movies and some of our favorites and they're not the same boring, Hey, here are the, you know, here's the top five that we looked up on some website or in some article. These were ones that are really personal to both Steve and myself. And we got so far down the road that there were too many more to name. And so we're probably going to have a part two for that, but today is really good as well. So Steve, as always laid on. Okay. You know, a little known fact that no one would ever know about me is I cannot multitask anymore. So if I'm doing something around the house and Kate says, hey, can you do this also? It just sends me into a tizzy, a panic. And she's always like, not right now, not right now. I just can't do it. I could do one thing at a time. I'm good at like, okay, got to go get gas, got to go to Target, got to go to Costco, got to pick up the prescriptions. Boom, boom, boom. But multitasking, it's not my thing. So I thought it'd be fun. We thought it'd be fun to talk today about athletes who multitask, and we mean professional athletes who have excelled in two professional sports, which is pretty amazing, although there'll be a subset of guys who were fantastic in college at basketball and then played pro football. But I'm going to start, and I'm kind of sticking not just to my generation, but a little before, with someone that you may or may not be familiar with, and it is the Rifleman. And I don't mean, I don't mean... Chuck Person, I mean Chuck Connors. Chuck Connors, The Rifleman, which is a you know phenomenal TV series, was a pro baseball player, the Dodgers and the Cubs, and a pro basketball player. So you think about it. You know, if you're a pro basketball player at that time, you're one of the best, you know, 150 basketball players in the world. And then baseball, maybe one of the 500, and then acting. I mean, the, the dude could do it all. And Although, you know, I don't think he had an accomplished pro career. It was probably because Hollywood was was far more lucrative and he had a great series of the Rifleman. So were you familiar with Chuck Connors, Jonathan? How can you not be? Because the Rifleman was on every day during the summer of every school year, like at 10 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, when you're at home as a kid, you don't have a whole lot to do. You know, the Rifleman would be on. Then you get to see, uh, you know, the uh, Fall Guy, of course, TJ Hooker. So all those great, you know, syndicated shows. But, yeah, Chuck Connors, of course, I know who Chuck Connors is. And 
it's kind of fitting that, you know, he was the rifleman for the television show. And then Chuck Person would then, of course, adopt a similar nickname. And again, looking at where we are today, and apologies, folks, I have to bring this up. Any kind of nickname that has to do with guns today, I, I just it just makes me cringe, especially in the world that we're living in now. And you can disagree with that or not. That's just how I feel. So, well, that bad. I, I didn't mean to digress, but go ahead, Steve. I'm sorry. We we have another one coming up, but we, we'll 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 get to that later. But the two guys I want to talk about are had the very interesting multitasking of basketball and baseball, and they're both very good in their own in their own respective careers. The first guy I'm not sure you've heard of because I I don't know why I know him. I just know first of all, I have his baseball card. And second, I just kind of vaguely remember this thing. He was a guy named Gene Conley. Gene Conley in the 60s played six NBA seasons, getting three rings with the Celtics. I think the first three rings they got with Bill Russell. At the same time, he was pitching in the major league, and he had almost 100 wins. So that was pretty good. But I, I will say, everything I know about Gene Conley, I read about. I, I, I wouldn't know him, but I, I doubt if he's alive. But I wouldn't know anything about him. But the guy I want to talk about, I actually remember seeing him as one of my favorite players, and he was just, he's just got an amazing career. So I'm talking about none other than a Laker nemesis named Dave DeBusher. So my Lakers ran into the Knicks numerous times, and the Knicks back then, I knew their lineup really well. Darling Dick Barnett at guard, along with Clyde Frazier, Dollar Bill Bradley, who later became a senator, along with Dave DeBusher, and the indomitable Willis Reed at center with... Phil Action Jackson and Cassie Russell come off the bench. But Dave DeBusher was the heart and soul of that team. He was he was the prototype rugged power forward. And, and that this is when power forwards were, you know, 6'7 or 6'8, 205. But he could bound. He could clear the boards. He could play defense, hard nose, actually good offensive. He could, he could, he could shoot the ball. And he was a great player. But what people might not know about him is. Early in his career, while he's still playing with the Pistons, in the offseason, he was a pitcher. He's a pretty good pitcher with the, I think, the White Sox. He pitched in about 35 games over two years. I think he started about 20 of them. And, you know, we've talked about this. Most pitchers just do not hit the ground running. I mean, they learn their craft, whether it's you know, Warren Spahn or Sandy Koufax or, or, or Steve Carlton. It takes a few years. So theoretically, he could have been a, he could have been an all-star pitcher, but he gave up baseball for basketball. I don't know why. I, I don't think either the remember, this is the mid 60s. I, I bet he wasn't getting more than, you know, forty thousand dollars for either team. And uh, actually, also, another thing about David Bush that's interesting is I, I think I have this right. I think he was the youngest person to ever be a player coach. He was on the Pistons. He was a player coach. But anyways. He's on the Pistons. He gave up bas- He gave up baseball, and he got traded for this guy named Walt Bellamy. Big Bell, they called him. And Walt Bellamy was good. He wasn't Wilt. He wasn't Nate Thurman. He wasn't Russell, but he's just a notch below, and he had great statistics. But the Knicks gave up on him, gave him to Detroit, and when when DeBusher came over, he and Willis Reed just made this. I mean, no one out-rebounded the Knicks, and I remember reading this thing where it's like, you know, if they're playing a big team, a good team with, like, Wilt, Willis would re- Willis would screen out and DeBush would clear the boards if they're playing a team like, you know, Boston or Baltimore with Elvin Hayes, the opposite. And those two guys were both great defenders. And it's clear the Knicks would not have been nearly the team they were. So 
I, I think it's amazing that this guy was a, a professional baseball and basketball player that I remember. I remembered at the time, and he made a choice to uh, to do it. And and this this combination of basketball and baseball, I guess, was fairly common because there's one more guy I want to briefly touch on, and I know you know him, but I don't know if you know his basketball story. Dick wrote. Dick wrote maybe the best shortstop in the National League for a number of years. Eight-time All-Star. Great double play combination with um, Bill Mazeroski. Bill, Ma- Sni- <laughs> Bill Mazeroski. 1960 <laughs> world champ with the uh, Pirates, but he was a stud of a basketball player in college at Duke, and he actually scored. He dropped, I think, um, 48 against North Carolina, which I believe is the most points North Carolina's ever given up to anybody. So he played one season in the NBA, and then I think it was Danny Murtaugh, the manager of the Pirates, is like, hey, look, you know, your basketball days are done. You're playing baseball. And he gave up basketball. But isn't it amazing that those guys were, were that good and played two sports? I don't know if it is amazing. And here's why. It's I think it's amazing that we don't we didn't have more. And what I mean by this is when you look at the professional athlete, and we'll, we've talked about this before, Brian Scalabrini's quote. I'm a lot closer to LeBron than you are, meaning the average, you know, to the average person, right? These guys are so skilled and they are on another plane. So I was in Japan and I was on a submarine. I was in the Navy and we long story, but we ended up having to be in Japan for repairs on our submarine for, for about a month. So I was playing basketball on base in Japan and we ended up getting into the uh the league you know they had a basketball league so we were able to jump in into the basketball league and we'd go there and do play pickup games you know whenever we had a day off or had time to do so and Kenny Payne was there and would would be there and I don't even know why he was in Japan or what he was doing there but for those that don't know Kenny Payne I believe he went to University of Louisville he would be a draft pick of the Sixers. And, you know, he didn't really have that stellar or much of a professional career, but he was a D1 basketball player that got drafted into the NBA. And just in pickup games, playing with that guy, he's not even playing, right? I'm playing my heart out, doing everything that I can to just, you know, not make myself look bad. And he's just playing quarter speed and schooling everybody on the court. So that is just one litmus test. So to think that if you would have said, hey, Kenny Payne, could this guy have been, you know, quarterback, a wide receiver, a center fielder, a pitcher? Absolutely. Like this guy was so athletically gifted, but he was also trained and skilled. And. I think, and we're talking generations, so I think this is perfect discussion where I think it's true for you because it was true for me. You grew up playing all three sports. You didn't do what you do now where, you know, oh, this person looks like a promising baseball player. We're going to put him in league. We're going to do traveling team. We're going to do this. And all you do is baseball year round. If, if you were good at anything, you played all three sports. So you know, if you want to look at between, you know, your generation and my generation, I'm actually surprised there weren't more people. But on the other end, I also understand that if you want to be great at something, 
you know, you probably need to devote your time and it's not just athletic ability. It's, it's, it's the work that goes behind it. So that's what I mean by I'm not, I'm, you know, it, it's just not surprising because many of these folks are just so gifted athletically, even if not in size and speed and strength, but just hand-eye coordination, skill, determination. So I'm not surprised because these guys are professional athletes and there's a reason. Well, you hit on a good point. When I was in school, um, typically in high school, as long as I can remember, the starting quarterback was also a pitcher or a shortstop or a center fielder. And typically they didn't, they, they didn't necessarily go from football to basketball to baseball, but a lot of them did. And they're all, they're good at all of them, but they usually had to make a choice. Most, most people didn't play three sports. A lot of guys played two sports and that was the thing. And now with, with traveling teams and, and, and club teams, I do think young people are forced to make a choice early on, but still, even with that being said, you know, um, I mean, I know, I know later in the show, we'll get to talk about the two, the two star attractions, you know, Bo and, and Dion, but I mean, you know, you're good at one sport and you come into another person's turf. I mean, they're going to want to make you look bad. And, and so the skill set is different because, you know, I mean, you're, you're trying to throw a fastball 90 miles an hour back then for Dave DeBusher. And then you're, you're boxing out, you know, Will Chamberlain or whatever, very different skill set, very different vibe, the whole bit. But, um, you know, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think pro is pro and, and, you know, the, the athletes I've been around that played D one and or pro, are, are pretty amazing. And, um, but the, the basketball baseball thing's kind of interesting because then in, in more contemporary times, there's Danny Ainge, right? I mean, Danny he had, Ainge. Yeah. He had yeah, a great college yeah. career and then he gave up basketball to be with the blue Jays. And I don't, I don't know if he gave up baseball because it just wasn't happening, but he wasn't a bad player. And it's the same thing. I mean, you know, you play four years of major college basketball and then you get a bat thrust in your hand and, you know, it's going to take you a little while to hit the curveball. And he wasn't a bad player, I don't think. But he, he I don't know how long he played, a couple of seasons maybe. And then he, yeah. you know, then he went to the NBA where, you know, he was he was much better. I, I, I have him. He's got two, over 200 games in the pros, which is pretty good. But it's the same kind of thing. I mean, you know, to, to be a All-American in basketball, you know, I imagine you eat sleep, live, and breathe basketball. I mean, these guys, they get at the gym at six in the morning, they shoot 500 free throws, they do everything. So, you know, I mean, all, all the all the stuff they're doing, baseball players are doing also in baseball. And to seamlessly kind of try and move between the two, I, I just, I you know, at, at that level, I understand high school, and I even kind of understand college if you can, but Pros, that that to me, I mean, I'm not surprised there's so few guys. I mean, I, I think part of it is, you know, you're you're dedicating so much of yourself to your one craft, there's nothing left to do. Well, there's there's that. Of course, you have the the disparate schedules of the leagues, you know, when they play, where they play, how they play. So that makes it difficult. But, you know, there's there's been a handful of guys, and and many will say like Jordan had a failed baseball career after he was suspended for gambling. I mean, after he uh, retired, but uh, no, that's just a joke. People just, <laughs> just, just calm down. If you're, if you're upset, I, I just like that. Uh, if if you listen to the episode with my son, he, he dives into conspiracy theories uh, hard and he believes in them 
wholeheartedly and i just more marvel at the uh the thought of them not necessarily whether they're true or not but i mean if you look at his his career in the minor leagues i mean at that point he's in his late 20s early 30s i mean he missed some very formative years playing baseball and then he jumps right in and he's he's going up against top-notch competition whether he made the major leagues or not so to your point, you know, honing that skill, like you, you got to hone the skill, being able to just show up and, and excel is super, super difficult. And I also think there, there are, you know, I think there's financial reasons. I also think there's personal reasons. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why I think some of these guys choose a single sport. And that's where I get to, to one of the guys I wanted to talk about, because I think I've never specifically heard this player say why he switched from football to baseball full time, but I can imagine why I really can, especially based on his career, but Brian Jordan, Brian Jordan was a very skilled safety and defensive back for the Atlanta Falcons. He played three seasons and in his second season as a safety, he led the Falcons in tackles. And he had, uh, like, I think four or five interceptions in his career. I mean, he only played three seasons as a football player. But I believe he had a pretty significant shoulder injury that he kind of played through. And even if I have that information incorrect, just the wear and tear on your body as a football player. And then he had a very solid professional career and he would go on to make 51 million in his career so he would end up going playing 14 seasons even though that he didn't really start full-time if you want to call it full-time 55 games in 1992 which he was coming off his you know his first or his final season in the nfl and he would play for 14 you know 15 seasons make 51 million he would make an all-star team um, I think that's not necessarily indicative of how good he was. I think he could have done more, but I, he was also playing in, let's call it what it is, right in the heart of the steroid era where you had a lot of players that were doing, you know, certain things. And and I don't think he's ever been reported to be part of that crew or ever been on any list or anything like that. And he was a football player, so he was a pretty thick dude. I mean, he's listed at 5'11", you know, 210 215 so i mean that's a that's a pretty pretty thick guy to uh you know throw on a baseball field but he was he was highly skilled and i can understand where in his situation hey i'm making a personal choice i can make more money i can play a lot longer i can you know be healthy and people you know I'm a safety, so my job is to go around hitting people, and I got a guard that's pulling on the uh, sweep that's coming to flatten me if I'm not, you know, on my P's and Q's. So, yeah, Brian Jordan, I I just, I always thought he was, you know, he was always a stand-up guy, it seemed like. Again, I don't know him personally, and he just had that kind of career that you're like, hey, if I had that career, I'd be super proud of of that career. Well, I I think you know, speaking from our, the safety of our uh, podcasting station in, in downtown Ventura, um, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, if you could play pro baseball or pro football, one of them, 
you know, you play pro baseball. I mean, pro football, the career span is is incredibly short. Even for a defensive back, I mean, you know, you, you're you're going to play maybe six years if you're if you're really good. They'll find someone faster in in a little bit. Uh, the the pounding on the body and the head is is traumatic. And you know, Brian Jordan was a, a was certainly not a star in in football, although he he was an alternate for the Pro Bowl. So he was he was you know he was a very good player, but he wasn't like a Deion Sanders, but boy, he had a great pro baseball career, almost 200 homers. And he played for a long time and he made a lot of money. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I always said that if I, you know, if I had a kid who was good in sports, uh, baseball is the way to go. I mean, these other sports, they, they just, they just ground you and pound you. But this is an interesting um, transition because you've got a guy who, let, let's just, I mean, let, let's imagine Brian Jordan's with us and he's being candid. He would say, yeah, you know, football's brutal. You know, I, I, I could see the writing on the wall. I could see that, you know, it's giving me my knee or my shoulder or something. So I went for baseball. But I want to talk about two guys that, that did the opposite. They played college basketball and they were pretty good, but not maybe good enough to play pro basketball. And they went to football. And the first guy is a, a kind of an unknown, but for a book he wrote, Pete Gent. He was with the Cowboys. He played basketball at Michigan State. I don't think he was all Big Ten or anything, but he was a good player. But that was back in the day. The Cowboys were like the Raiders. You know, they they scouted all over for potential. Gil Brandt, the one of their scout general manager dudes, saw this guy and said, "Wow, he he could play football. We could teach him how to catch a ball." And he had a. a Decent career, and and his I think clearly his claim to fame was North Dallas Forty, which was a uh, oh man, that should have been in the movies. That's a great movie too. John Matuzak, really good. So I I've, that'll be in movies too. But uh, um, yeah, he wrote North Dallas Forty, and which which is a, a great book, and just you know talks about the insanity slash brutality slash bizarreness of not just pro football but pro football in Dallas. But then the other guy I'd like to talk about was um, a basketball player. And I'm not positive where he played. Uh, I want to say Creighton. I'm not sure. But it's Antonio Gates. Antonio Gates was a college basketball player. He didn't play football at all. And um, he was one of the best tight ends in NFL history. And I remember watching him a lot of times. And I, I, I wasn't a big enough Charger fan to watch him block or do anything. And so I couldn't really tell. But... When the ball was up in the air, you know, he was like he was like boxing guys out. He knew how to position his body to get the ball. And then, you know, of course, you got to figure out a way to, you know, basketball, although it's a rough, violent game, you don't have someone running, having a 20-yard run and then putting their helmet in your sternum and putting you down. But Antonio Gates was a, a phenomenal player, one of the probably top 10 or 15 receiving tight ends in the history of pro football. And he didn't play a down of college football. He played... Uh, Play that now. The other guy that that kind of fits in the same bill, but he was different, was Tony Gonzalez out of your Cal Bears. But Tony Gonzalez played football and basketball in college, and although he was a pretty good basketball played with player, Jason Kidd. yeah, but he probably was not going to play pro basketball. But he was a you know he was a all pro, fantastic football player. So I I, I agree. I, I I think I think Brian Jordan was interesting because he could do both. Antonio Gates would probably rather play pro basketball and not have concussions and, and knees and everything else, but he couldn't make it in pro basketball. So he played pro football, but I think it's interesting that Brian Jordan, who could do both made what I think is the sane and incredibly intelligent choice of, 
of a career in baseball? So the guy that I have, Hall of Famer, and is considered the greatest punter of all time. And of course, we lost him, rest in power in 2022, but Ray Guy. So Ray Guy was a very accomplished pitcher in college. He actually struck out 266 batters in 200 innings and threw a no-hitter in college for Southern Miss. He was a basketball player in high school. So there's a game where he actually played defense. So he played place kicker. He played punter. He played safety. So he, he ended up scoring 39 points in a high school game and a state championship the day after Friday night lights kind of deal played in the state championship game in basketball the very next day and led his team to the championship for 39 points. And I didn't know any of this about Ray guy as a kid, because you know, the inter internet, you don't have it. It's very difficult to learn. And unless it's written somewhere and you don't, you know, you got to have to have read whatever was published it was very difficult, but there was a game against, I want to say it was the bears. And my memory could be wrong or bad, but it would have been the mid-80s. And this is when Plunkett was now on the downside of his career. Mark Wilson, who was a BYU quarterback, not unlike Steve Young and the Bears quarterback at the time, which would have been Jim McMahon. So Mark Wilson was going to be the heir apparent. And I think if memory serves right, Plunkett started the game. And gets knocked out of the game, just gets walloped. And of course, this is that mid to early 80s Bears defense, the vaunted Buddy Ryan defense, the 46 defense, Richard Dent, uh, Ron Rivera is on that, Steve McMichael. I mean, just the, you know, actually Jeff Fisher. Jeff Fisher was a safety, I think, on that team, right? That's right. He was a nickelback. They had, they had Mike Singletary. They had Doug Singletary. Plank. They had... Yeah. Uh, Dan Hampton, Richard Dent. Yeah, they're they monsters. They're yeah, monsters. Dan Hampton. So they knock Plunkett out. Wilson comes in. And I might have this backwards, but Wilson comes in. He gets knocked out. Raiders are down. And I actually tried to figure out which game this was, and I was unsuccessful prior to recording this. But if memory serves, I remember the announcers were going, well, Mark Wilson, if Mark Wilson's out and Plunkett's out, Who's going to come in and play quarterback? The, at the time, you know, teams didn't have a third quarterback. It was very unusual to have a third quarterback. And they're like, well, Ray Guy is actually the emergency quarterback because he was a very accomplished baseball player, pitcher in college. And so that's how I initially knew and learned that Ray Guy was really good at, at baseball. Subsequently, I believe Plunkett ends up you know, dragging himself back onto the field. And the Raiders actually, I believe, come back and win the game. But uh, Ray Guy was a very accomplished athlete. And it's kind of funny. He was the very first punter to be drafted in the first round. Of course, he's a Hall of Famer. He's known for the coughing kick. He holds many collegiate, you know, he's in the College Hall of Fame and the NFL Hall of Fame. He holds several records in both. And being such a great athlete, I think the bigger thing is why did he decide to stick with punting? I mean, he obviously was great at it, but I mean, he easily could have been a, a place kicker. He was actually a very accomplished place kicker and he was a defensive back. 
So it's even kind of odd that, hey, this guy was a multi-sport star, but he was also a multi-positional star, even in this one sport that he was really great at. Well, maybe these guys have some innate kind of spider sense about what'll work, what won't work. And and a guy I want to bring up next is a guy who, for reasons I'm not really sure, I always really liked. And it was, uh, you'll, I'm sure you remember, Charlie Ward. So Charlie Ward was at Florida State as a quarterback. And that's back when Florida State was good. I mean, they were always in the top five or top 10. And and Charlie Ward was this guy. He's one of these leaders. He wasn't big. He wasn't he wasn't especially fast. He didn't have a rock arm. Yeah, but but he led the troops and you know Florida State. I I didn't look up. I'm I'm sure his years they all went to big bowl games and the whole bit. But you know, all of a sudden it's pro time, and you know it, it's not it's not just that he's uh, African American. It's they probably didn't have the skill set to really be a pro quarterback. So what does he do? He starts with the Knicks, and he he was a good player. I used to watch him. I liked him, and he brought the exact same things. He was a smart player. He I mean. If you look at him, he did not have a great outside shot. He couldn't really beat guys off the dribble, but he didn't have turnovers. He had a good assist to turnover ratio. He played good defense. He was smart. He's, he was a starter in those Knicks teams, and those Knicks teams were good. I mean, I, I think it was with, you know, Oakley and, and Ewing and, and the whole crew, but Charlie Ward had, had a, I didn't look it up, but he had a very solid NBA career. And this is after, you know, three years of playing before 80,000 people in Tallahassee and and on the football field and it's funny because um there must be something about quarterback the the thinking and the dexterity because my understanding if i remember right i think both russell wilson and um uh hang on a second i got it both russell wilson and the guy for um arizona uh whatever his name is um skyler murray or kyler murray they both got oh, drafted yes. they both got drafted by baseball and baseball's like Play with us. You'll be good. You'll and and you know the sticking thing. Hey, play with us. You won't get you won't have a 300 pound guy, you know, spearing you in the head. You'll deal that you'll have a long career. Well, Russell Wilson's had a very long career, and I'm sure he's made far more cash than he could have in 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 baseball. But that's funny, like, because you know, you gotta pick your love. You gotta pick what you want. And, you know, obviously playing quarterback for a major pro franchise <clears throat> is about as high as you get on the on the pinnacle chart. And Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray both chose that. And I understand Patrick Mahomes is a good baseball player too, but I'm with you. All these guys are good. And in fact, I just read an article about the flavor of the month, Jason Kelsey, about how good he was in basketball. And he had these little league or, or Colt league or pony league exploits where you hit 600 and all these things. And everyone says he could have done, you know, he could have been this or that or this or that, but he made a choice. So I don't doubt that these guys could have done it, but these guys who do it. So you know, the Antonio Gates and the Charlie Wards, to me, my hat's just off because, wow, you played major college at a very high level. And then when that didn't work out to the next step, you you just pivoted and went to a sport you had limited experience in and, and did really well. I just I mean, those guys, those guys skills just be, must be off the charts. So Charlie Ward won, of course, Heisman. One, he was the quarterback for the first national championship ever for Florida State. And, you know, he was that guy was electric on the football field. And and he was kind of maybe even ahead of his time. Right. The kind of being able to move around still had a you know pretty good arm and just electric on the field. You know, there was. 
I think we're coming up with a, with another topic here is just the, you know, the mobile quarterback. Steve Young is obviously there where he became very accomplished, but we had guys before that. And then the guys that were mobile and could throw, I mean, I think Randall Cunningham might be the pinnacle of that, but I guess that's a different show. So we definitely should log that as a, as a nether opportunity. But the other guy, I'm going to bring up two guys at the same time. One was baseball and basketball. He was drafted by both. He was drafted by the Oakland A's as a, a shortstop. And he was drafted really late only because, you know, the A's were kind of holding out hope that he would, you know, end up playing baseball. But he would play some minor league uh, games in 1986 for the A's. But he was also a first-round draft pick and actually got buried on the bench. He was a first-round number seven overall at a Cal, former mayor of Sacramento, and a guy that I've actually met multiple times and actually had an opportunity to do, uh, you know, kind of league, not leagues, but um, camps to kind of learn from him because I went to the same high school that he did, Sacramento High, but Kevin Johnson. And then the other guy who got drafted by all three leagues None other than Dave Winfield out of Minnesota. And, of course, Kevin Johnson with the basketball route um, was buried behind Mark Price, who was also another just very accomplished player and widely considered, you know, up there with Steve Nash and Steph Curry and these other guys as far as point guards and being able to shoot off the dribble and, and shoot at range. But, but Kevin Johnson would then would go to the Suns, and would have, you know, a, a close to, if not a Hall of Fame career. But he was a very accomplished baseball and basketball player. And then the opposite for Dave Winfield. He played basketball, but he decided to go the baseball route. He is a Hall of Famer in baseball, and he could do it. You wanted him to hit for average, he'd hit for average. You wanted him to hit for power, he hit for our power. He was gold glover. You know, he was a silver slugger. And, you know, you needed him to steal a bag, he stole a bag. And, you know, you, you look at, there was a period of time where the two best baseball players in baseball in the American League was probably, or excuse me, in the National League was um, either him or Dave Parker. Like he and Dave Parker in those late 70s, early 80s when, when Parker was on the Pirates and Winfield was on the Padres. Those two guys may have been the two best players in the National League. They may have been the two best players in baseball, and they definitely were probably the two of the best outfielders for sure. What's well, funny, I, I heard uh, Dave Winfield talk the other day, and he was talking about if they'd given him a chance, he could have been like showy because he could pitch also. He's a pitcher in college. But yes, to, me, that, to me, that's part of the psyche of these guys. They, they think there's nothing they can't do, which leads me to two quickies, which is a little off of the uh, – the beaten path, but we like doing that. The first is this notion that Steph Curry could make the pro golf tour. And, you know, I don't know that much about golf. I, I don't really care for it too much. I feel it's a really privileged sport that I had never got into, but those guys are good. And the fact that Tony Romo, who was a very good golfer or Steph Curry, these guys can win these little pro-am things. That's a big difference. And I, 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 there was actually a precedent for this back in the seventies, a guy named Ken Harrelson, the Hawk, who was a very good baseball player with Cleveland. And then he was a 
batted behind Frank Howard, who actually, surprisingly, Frank Howard was a basketball player in college. Another guy. But, you know, Ken Harrelson gave up baseball to go on the pro golf tour. And he fizzled because, you know, those golfers don't miss shots. And, and I mean, you know, they, they, will, they will shoot 70 all day long. And, you know, the, the, the basketball players and the baseball players who fancy themselves as great golfers – they're not. They're they're very very good golfers. But you know, to be a top, to be in the top fifty golfers, fifty golfers in the world, that's saying something. And I think it's it's this it's this yin and yang, this push and pull between what they think they can do, which is anything, because they got that athletic confidence and their studs, they can do anything, and the reality, which which is funny. So you know, probably Dave Winfield realized that you know, although he was a pretty good basketball player. It was really baseball where where his skills lied. Just like you know, Brian Jordan probably realized, hey, baseball's my game or whatever it is. And I think they know that. And the guy that comes to mind that obviously didn't know it and didn't know what to do was Drew Henson, right? He 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 was the either the next Mickey Mantle or the next um, you know uh, Roger Staubach, and it turned out to be neither. He he was a guy, and you know I think it goes to show that you know there is something in picking a sport and sticking with it because I mean unless you're Bo or Dion because the 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 skills are just too at at that level the margin for error is just way way too slim so uh, that that that's why I really think that it's just that the guys who can do two sports are just unbelievable and you know back to the Steph thing if this goes back to I think the beginning of the discussion here which is yeah if he had been golfing since he was you know sixteen and kept golfing I totally believe he could be on the tour right but Golf is, if nothing else, as far as a practice and skill and time development, that might be one of the biggest ones. You know, yeah, you can be big and strong. You can hit the ball hard. You could do all these different things, but you need to have the skill and the time and the training. And, you know, as much as he's done with his dribbling and his shooting, you need to do that on the, you know, on the 18 holes as well. So I, that, I think you're right. You know, there's, there's also the, the strive, the ego, the belief that you could do anything and everything anywhere. And I'm sure that's, you know, and I'm not saying that's a dig. That's what you need to be great. Like, you know, I, you have to believe that you can do just about anything to be able to do anything. But uh, yeah, I think he's probably a little bit stretched to, to be on the, the pro tour. I think our fans know that I'm, I'm a big Wilt fan. I always have been, I love watching him play and I, I liked his book and he, 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 he was a character, but Wilt apparently was ultra competitive and it didn't matter if it was checkers or tiddlywinks or whatever, he wanted to win everything. And they actually said that even though he couldn't shoot free throws in practice, he'd win like three point shooting contests. They didn't have a three point line, but he'd win these long shots. He just, you know, he was, and, and in college, he was a phenomenal track athlete. Same ways. They came up with the idea in the <clears throat> late sixties that he should box Muhammad Ali and they were actually friends, but you know, he and he got a trainer and and they thought, okay, we're going to teach you to box one guy and this guy, and we're going to you know, take a year to, to work out and then you'll box him and you'll win. And he was ready to do it. And then one of his friends said, are you crazy? Just think of Muhammad. They showed him how to play basketball for a year. You'd make him look like a clown. I mean, this guy has done this his whole life. Don't, don't, don't play another man's game, you know? And Wilt was smart enough to say, yeah, this, this isn't going to happen. But I do think that the, the drive and the idea that they can do anything is uh, is what what makes them different than others. And then you know it's a it's kind of a natural transition. I mean I'm I'm 
this morning and yesterday I went over some stats and some stories and, you know, Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders are just like from another world. I mean, you can't do that. You you can't play pro football at the level they did and pro baseball. It's amazing. And I think without going out on a limb, I think if they had just chosen pro baseball, they'd probably be Hall of Famers. I mean, I really do. Bo's career was cut short by injury. And Dion, it was clear that he was, you know, not really a full-time baseball player. His heart was in football. He just wanted to show that he could play baseball. But the skills those guys had, and then when you talk to them, not talk, when you read anecdotal evidence of their teammates, they talk like, you know, Dion's on first base, and the guy at bat hits a line drive single to left field, and before the left fielder has out of his glove, Dion's sliding in a third. I mean, they're just saying, like, they could do things that no one else could. And then, you know, in their own way, they both had pretty remarkable baseball careers, don't you think? I mean, we'd be remiss not to talk about both of them. They're probably the two poster children, especially with the whole Bonos campaign that was done. I think I've told this story before. I actually had the opportunity, and, and it was really great, to meet Bo Jackson in person. So I actually was doing um, some really great sustainability work, and I did a big project with um, – now my brain just, just went. Uh, they're a big uh, – uniform supplier they do a lot of cleaning and hospitality kind of stuff and so i did a big project in in the city of chicago and they were revitalizing uh part of the south side of chicago and one of their partners was bo and bo was there to you know kind of show off the partnership and do all this things a big ribbon cutting and all this great stuff and i got to be there as kind of an emissary because i was part of the whole project and Bo is super, super humble guy, really, really nice. When you shake his hand, I mean, it, it's kind of like the same when I met Bob Gibson. I mean, the guy's just got a grip from from nowhere. And I to realize that this guy, he's not that much taller than I am, but he's about two and a half times thicker than I am and not as fat. I mean, even then, the guy is just so strong and so big. And to think that before his hip injury, he was running, you know, a 4-2-4-40. So have that kind of speed and power all packaged in one. And you look at all the different highlights. And the one thing, you know, that was one of the things they had there. They had a whole like real, you know, of course, it was a VHS tape and talk about technology and everything different then versus now. But they were having all of his big highlights. And I was like, hey, you forgot one. And he's like, which one? And I said, well, where's the one where you run over Steve Atwater and Dennis Smith? And he just smiled because he knew exactly what I was talking about because, of course, he lived it. But he's like, yeah, that was that was pretty good. huh?" And I'm like, and, and for those that don't know, Dennis Smith was widely considered one of the hardest hitting if, you know, along with Ronnie Lott. You know, free safety played for the Broncos. Steve Atwater, similarly, very hard hitting physical cornerback for the Broncos. And, um, you know, there's a play where he's coming around and they both try to just sandwich him and, and both shrugs them both off for, for a little while. I mentioned this on an extra time show that I did find a play similar. It wasn't the exact play that I remember that he goes for a touchdown. But the play that I remember, you know, it wasn't it was a long run. It wasn't a touchdown. But the play I remember was where they both tried to sandwich him and he shrugs them both off. I mean, so to, it'd be remiss not to mention those two guys. But you want to talk about the aliens 
those are the two aliens, right? The the Deion Sanders and and Bo for sure. Well, the thing about both of them is, you know, okay, let's just accept the fact that they're super fast and and strong. But I mean, being super fast and strong only gets you so far in baseball, right? I mean, you still got to hit a curveball. You still got to hit a slider, a 93-mile slider. You you got to do that. And these guys were both accomplished hitters considering their their lack of of experience. I mean, considering they don't have a thousand at bats in the minor leagues, considering they're against major league pitcher and, you know, just knowing sports the way I do, I'm sure guys did not want to give up a hit to Dion. I mean, because they they viewed him as arrogant. You know, he he drew the dollar sign in the in the batter's box, and he was he was cocky. So he says bit. that never happened. He says that didn't happen. You're talking about the incident with Carlton Fisk. What, what didn't happen? He drew a dollar sign in the batter's box. That of course it He's, happened. Dion says he never he never put the dollar sign down. He said he he does a little thing where he. Marks off where he's going to put his foot is what he claims. I went back and read an article. I think this is uh, Fisk being a little bit on the uh, pull that race card out was trying to show up, uh, you know, a, a, a young black man who's got the curl and a little bit of swagger and, you know, not on my not in my yard there, buddy. I'm going to show you how this game is played. Well, well, I don't want to defend Carlton Fisk, I never really cared for him, but he's he's like the exact opposite. He says about baseball, he just say, hey, there's a way you play the game, not play the game. And Dion made the statement like, hey, you know, slavery's over or something. And Fisk, like, he's the guy who made it into, you know, black-white. But regardless, um, Dion Sanders, I mean, was a very good baseball player. And it just is amazing to me that not only could he, you know, I mean, I think you said on the, a couple of shows ago, arguably the best cover cornerback in, in, in the NFL. And that there's a story I always like that in the huddle, defensive huddle, Dion would kind of saunter in and just say, you know, I got my guy. And that's it. He didn't really care if they were blitzing. He didn't care if they were playing zone. He didn't care if it was a cover five. He manned up on his guy and his guy wouldn't catch the ball, whether it's, you know, under Ryzen or whoever. He was just, he was just a stud. And, but it just is amazing to me that he could even, even, compete at the level he did and you know for a short career he had a you know you know ton of stolen bases he was a good player and and i can't remember what newspaper publication but they had a uh thing about him what the other players thought of him and you know all the players they talked about whether whether it was um uh john smoltz whoever they talked about him being a humble guy a very hard worker and and just just you know basically that good impression of him and you know Baseball back then was pretty white, and you, even though Dion was a star, you could see how he might ruffle some feathers. But he was—I mean, to me, it's stunning that that a star in football, the the roughest, toughest sport ever imagined, could transition to a real finesse sport. I mean, it helps to be—it helps to be strong, it helps to be fast, but that doesn't help you hit a slider or a curveball. It just doesn't. And those guys could do it. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's not pretty amazing. It's off the charts. Amazing. Well, I mean, to that, to that level, it's, you know, I think if you want to look at the three major sports, as far as putting in the time and effort, I got to imagine, you know, hitting a round ball with a round bat, that's going to be the hardest thing throwing a ball consistently over the plate, not walking batters and not giving up hits, pretty difficult. So anybody that's able to do that, you know, your your skill 
let alone your physical abilities, but your skill has to be so high and to train that and to be able to do that and to be able to just kind of, all right, I'm going to go play for the San Francisco 49ers this Sunday. And then uh, I'm out, I'm with the giants on Tuesday and I'm going to go play center field. I mean, that is just insane. And then similarly with Bo playing running back. And then of course, playing with the, uh, the Royals at the time. So I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and it's just a marvel and kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're running up on time, but I mean, just to kind of go back to some of the, original kind of component of where we are today i think it's going to be hard for anyone to be able to be a dual sport star in whatever it is only for the simple fact that you know you've got the ronaldo nehemiahs right track stars that became you know football players you know those those, that will probably still has an opportunity to happen or whatever it might be but to try to do it and do it at that level especially when Today, young people are so hyper-focused on a single sport. To be able to cross over is going to be hard. Now that I think about it, we never mentioned Tom Glavin. Apparently, he was a very accomplished hockey player um, and a you know, baseball player, which is a little weird, a little bit different kind of thing. So, yeah, I think it's really cool, and I think the stories are cool. And when you talk about the drama of sports – the thing that I probably like more almost as much as the drama is the story of sports, talking about sports, you know, where people come from, how they became what they became, how they decided to choose a sport over another sport. What was their pathway along to where they got and then how they decided to, you know, to kind of round it up and, and finish it off. Well, a lot of guys, I mean, I think going back to, to bring it back home, uh, you're right. A lot of these guys coming out of high school could do a couple sports really well. Most of them make a choice, and and most of them are, are told by their college coach, albeit the basketball coach or the football coach, yeah, you're playing basketball or football. You're not doing both, and forget your dreams. The other thing, and then and then I guess you know, for a young guy, for a 20 year old college sophomore or 19 year old college sophomore. They've got to make a choice as to what's in their best interest, which, you know, they might not actually know that well at the time, but they but they choose. But I do think you're right that that it's probably a dying breed and it probably won't be that much in the future because of, you know, I, I don't know if it's the 10,000 hour thing or whatever it is, but you're right. Every day, Steph Curry is practicing dribbling his dribbling drills for, you know, two hours someone is putting for two hours and you know, you're not going to catch up and you're, you're just not going to the sprinting football, you know, like, like Bob Hayes. And this, that's the other one bullet Bob Hayes, which uh, we is not cool anymore, but he was not just, he was not Ronaldo Nehemiah. He was a football player who sprinted. So he won the, I believe he won the gold medal in the 64 Tokyo Olympics and then had a really good career. The Cowboys, he was, you know, he, he was fast and he could catch the ball, but he was a football player. Ronaldo Nehemiah was a you know phenomenal hurdler, best hurdler in the world, who tried to make the transition. But you know, it's not easy. You just because you're the fastest guy in the room doesn't mean you can go over the middle and catch a ball. And I I can't remember what game it was, but he got creamed by someone and he never played again. And you know, it was, it was a work in progress that didn't you know. I mean, hats off to him for trying to play pro football, but it just it just doesn't work. So you know, it's 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 pretty amazing that these guys can do that. And I do think that. I mean, you know, we both love sports and we both played sports, uh, you know, maybe not successfully as we would have liked, but 
the thing I remember about sports is back in the day in the generational thing, you know, you played all the different sports and it kind of made you more well-rounded as a person. I, I don't mean just, you know, the fact that you could shoot a free throw and, and catch a pass and, you know, field a ground ball. I realize in life that doesn't get you very far, but in terms of interacting with different people and the mindset, I mean, baseball is a lot slower. I and mean, that's, that's why to me it's so funny because Bo Jackson did a thing where he'd break the bat over his knee out of frustration because baseball, you strike out, you might have to wait 45 minutes till you get another chance. You know, football, it's every play. So you have a whole different mentality and all that stuff. And I just think it makes you a better rounded person in terms of your your ability to assimilate, your ability to adapt, your ability to do all these things. And I, I worry that today's generation is, is kind of like, you know, being guided in this direction that, you know, you you pick something and, you know, that's it. I mean, I remember reading this and this might be, this might be incorrect. It might be semi-racist. It might be all these things. But I, I remember reading when I was younger that, that, you know, in Japan, there was a big test. I don't know if you took when you're 15 or 16 or 17, but if you didn't pass that test, your life was done. You know, you, the doors to anywhere ended. And I remember just thinking, boy, that's, that's not America. That's not us. So I have no idea if that's true or not, but this idea that a, you know, 12 year old stud who's good at baseball, basketball, and football is told by some coach, listen, son, you know, club team is starting and it plays all year round. So you better pick your sport. I th- I think that's wrong. And I think, I think that in the long run makes for a lesser, lesser kind of well-rounded person. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I don't like playing the get off my lawn game, but I can say from experience, what I saw being a president of a league, you know, being a coach for baseball for for Nathan, and and those kinds of things is it's it's not the coach, it's just as much the parents. You know, the parents are trying to gain some glory or relive glory that they never were able to achieve, and I saw that in a lot of a lot of people, and and I was there. You know, my number one goal was well, I wanted to make our league fun, and I wanted to make our league accessible to anyone and everyone. It didn't matter where you were from. It didn't matter, you know, where, you know, how much money your parents had. I wanted to make sure that, you know, if kids couldn't get their gear, you know, gloves, whatever, shoes, we would we would figure it out. The league would figure it out and, and help you out with the scholarship and, and help you be the best that you could be that you wanted to be. And we just saw a lot of parents. We had a really big blowback and a lot of parents that you know, didn't like how I, where I was turning the league. They wanted the league to be a competitive league. You know, we were pony baseball. We weren't literally. We were pony baseball, and you know, pony baseball at that time had a lot of, I guess, reputation. I mean, and not in a negative way, but a reputation as being more competitive. And you know, if you were going to go play D one, if you're going to go to the pros, you don't, you know, you don't go to little league. Little league is kind of, you know chump change pony baseball is is where you go and then that leads to travel teams and all that kind of stuff which we had those and we had that element like if you wanted that element it existed but the regular league i wanted it to make be as accessible to anyone in all skill levels we actually had uh, you know girls we had these young women that would could, we had a softball and young 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 women girls were able to they were if they wanted to play baseball they could play baseball they didn't have to play softball and a lot of people liked it but we had that element that was no you know my kid's going to be d1 and it's like um 
your husband's five foot nine and 150 pounds soaking wet, and you're five five, 100 pounds. Unless your kid's like, you know, out of this world, I'm guessing he's probably not going to make it. You know, no, no dispersions, not in a negative way, but, you know, why don't we focus on them having fun first? And then if they're good enough and they can make it, then more power to them. But, uh, you know, I, I would blame the parents more than, quote unquote, the coaches, because most often than not, the coaches are. They themselves are parents and they're doing it because they're trying to get their kid. And we had those coaches in our league. So, you know, I. I I just think I'm with you in general, do as much as you can have fun, fail fast. You know, if, if you like something, try it. If you don't like it, stop, do something else. And that's what we always told my kids. It was like, Hey, you got to play a sport. I don't care which one. And the only reason why you got to play a sport is because I don't want you sitting at home, you know, playing video games all day. You got to be active. And if you look at all my kids they are all super active, they're all, engaged in something they like to be outside they like to do a lot of outdoor activities and uh if anything if i can say what i gave them i gave them the gift of you know of of sport but you didn't give it to eli <laughs> well he's not my son <laughs> oh that's right i know that's not. the that's the joke <laughs> i know but yes well anyway yeah but he's out there running so there you go he's a runner ish anyways sports is fun sports is difficult and Big hats off to guys who could play two sports at the highest level from the rifleman to bow and everyone in between. And, you know, I mean, it's just it's it's almost beyond my limited power of imagination to think that I could play two major league sports, much less one. So anyways, I've had a good time talking about this. I hope you guys like listening. Same old stuff. So this is Steve signing off. I'm Jonathan. We'll see you.